the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sam. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning. Welcome. Good morning. And morning, last, Henry. And good last, morning. And last but not least, uh, making an encore visit to uh, Armchair Politics, um, a, a recent guest, um, not just on Armchair Politics, but on the show as well, the author of Preacher Raises the Dead, uh, author Gerald Everett Jones. Gerald, good morning. Welcome. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, guys. Paul, Henry. Good morning. Good morning. Now nice it's rock and roll. <laughs> oh boy, there's <laughs> lots to talk about, and and you may be at at a little bit of a disadvantage at the beginning, Gerald, because there's a lot of weird stuff going on locally, and we're going to get into. Oh that. yeah, yeah. No, I I did I I saw that headline about uh, hey. Reconnecting to Lake Michigan, that's a big deal. I didn't see that in the national news. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on um, with local uh, elected officials and so on. We'll get into all that, but we always start with a few quotes. And the first one is uh, modeled after Flint-based comedian Mark Bondo's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. We open armchair politics with Finish the quote. This is where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And it goes, I don't make jokes, I just what? How would you finish this quote? Um, I am the joke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and that's a little self-deprecating, Paul, but uh, <laughs> but you'll recognize the quote when you hear it. It's, I don't make uh, jokes, I just watch the government and report the facts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, uh, uh, gee, that's so many possibilities there. That uh, goes back probably to the 30s. <laughs> I was going to say, it could be a Mark Twain thing, but I'm not sure it doesn't quite sound like Mark Twain either. I don't know. No, if you flip the uh, coin, it was Will Rogers. Will Rogers oh, okay. goes back to the 30s. 
Exactly right. Anyway, we'll start out with a couple of quotes that caught my attention this week. I do so now while bringing the gifts my ancestors gave. I am the dream and the hope of the slave. Oh, oh was that Hannah Jones? Or Brown jo- yeah, Jackson. Frederick Douglass? No, no, it was... Uh, actually, those are all great guests. Um, it, it came out uh, as part of a speech by Judge Katanji Brown Jackson. Oh, yeah. She was mocking yeah. oh. her historic confirmation to the Supreme Court with a moving speech and this quote from the late poet Maya Angelou at the White House oh. on Friday. That was actually a Maya Angelou quote, but quoted by uh, Judge mm-hmm. Jackson uh, or Justice Jackson now. Um, she celebrated the hope and promise of a nation where it was possible for her family to go from living under segregation to a Supreme Court appointment in one generation. Um, would you call this a smooth confirmation? Well, <laughs> well to some of the ones, it's, yeah, compared to what, I guess that's a question, but yeah, compared to some of the last two or three, but even then it was still heavily partisan. Yeah, I, I'd have to go along with you, Paul, because the... Um, there's reduced uh, fighting. There's diff- reduced references to racism. It's flowing through the system with all of the support it needed to pass from get-go. And it's moving right through without... Uh, yeah. But, you know, even then there were some bizarre things with uh, Ted Cruz raving that, that kid's book around about <laughs> a racist infants or something. It looked kind of silly. <laughs> but <laughs> did, Yeah, in the yeah, case of the, Cruz, you can't, you can't say that he doesn't know better i mean uh you know he and holly i mean we're talking about ivy league educations and uh and and extremely high intelligence legal degrees and to you know to basically just throw sand i mean you know i i agree with you guys i mean the the outcome was always pretty much understood and known because she'd been approved by the same body three times. times before I mean, she was, yeah, she was yeah, like very, very, very impressive mean, credentials. That's true. Yeah, no, I mean, it could, it could have been a voice vote, really, if, if you're talking about that. But, but then to use it as, and and then that's been the fundamental question: is when we have these confirmation hearings, is it, is it political theater, and and it's really come down to just almost exclusively that, which is really sad. Yeah. I think and right. what was and what was the vote? Something like fifty-three to forty-seven. Fifty-three. Did anyone? Yeah, yeah. The, the three Republicans came across. Yeah. Did uh, anyone happen to catch the the uh, take that Saturday Night Live did on this? Um, they had uh, uh, a character playing uh, Justice Jackson in the Oval Office, and she was. Um, communing with ghosts from the past, Thurgood oh. Marshall and, you know, a few people that had gone before and uh, sort of echoing her comments. Uh, and then she um, she was talking with uh, Ruth Gator, uh, or Bader Ginsburg. I think it's all that. <laughs> and, and Ginsburg says, 
Um, let's see, what was your vote? <laughs> she, said, she, she said 53 to 47. She said, okay, well, there you have it. Mine was 96 to 3. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, it used to be like that. I mean, most of the yeah. time, whichever party was in the White House, you know, barring a few occasional exceptions, it used to be the case that whoever was nominated generally got a, an overwhelming support, but not now. Well, but that may be just due to this generation because the country's so divided racially, yeah, gender right, wise, and economics, and all of that. And uh, what we've seen right now, we, we, we tend to see both the Democrats and Republicans coming together after Putin lost his war in Ukraine. You know, I, yeah, that's that's at least for the moment that's true. Yeah, I, I was so I, I was so thrilled to see uh, Kate McKinnon from Saturday Night Live. Um, you know, re bring back her Ginsburg character, and and I was reminded she did something. Um, Saturday Night Live did something right after RBG passed away. And they didn't do a skit. They didn't, you know, do any kind of a big, a big tribute. But what they did do is they had Kate McKinnon dressed up as her Ruth Bader Ginsburg character sitting in the audience. And they just showed her when they went to commercial. It was such a cool little oh. hat tip hmm. to RBG that, that Saturday after she passed away. Um you know, they they didn't do a big thing about it. They, mm -hmm. You know, it, it was just this just this little nod, and I thought it was just so classy. I, I was really impressed, and I'm. I've yeah, they become, didn't milk it. Yeah, exactly. And I've become a huge fan of Kate McKinnon over the last couple. She of is years. good. She, she is, is very good. All of the characters she's done, and you know, there some of them are pretty cartoony, but she is just really fun to watch even in some of the commercials she does but here's another quote that caught my attention this week without accountability extremists will be emboldened Ooh. Hmm. any intelligent politician <laughs> <laughs> there there would there, there well, was, was, that, was that governor whitmer that was in governor fact, whitmer after the acquittal well, it was about Governor Whitmer. It was uh, her chief of staff, Joanne uh, Hall, oh, okay. Okay. issued a statement immediately following the verdict Friday in which she warned what could be next if extremists don't face um, called accountability and consequences. She offered the statement following the acquittal Friday of two men and a jury deadlock on two others in the federal case of four men suspected of conspiring to kidnap the governor. What are the questions that need to be answered in a question or in a case like this? Hmm. Well, I think I something that, that we need to bear in mind is, is, and this really goes back goes back decades really uh, since ever ever since the the label terrorist has been used in the common dialogue we tend to and I think law enforcement for good reasons back then would if, if someone were engaged in um, 
you know, bomb threats, and and clearly there was an agenda, and it looked like it might be to some extent political. The there was a, a an agreement, and it seemed like in the media and and among the you know government people, let's just label them crazy, because we don't want to give anybody a platform for their beliefs. You know, otherwise they're you know we're going to get terrorists threatening us every day because they want to get a headline. And the thing is that even you know even this. This guy in, in, in Brooklyn, as crazy as he might seem, he does have some kind of disturbed beliefs or agenda or, you know, it's not like, you know, he just stuck his finger in a wall socket. And, well, yeah, there's, and went, there's a nuts. voice in his head. Um, what is it exactly. saying? And I, and I think that, you know, one of the things about polarization in, in politics is we do need we need we do and and this this also goes to permitting kids in school to learn to debate either side uh you know of course yeah you've got to be a little bit older to understand the, the the logic of of the other side but i mean you know i think one of the most productive things i ever learned in school was to argue either side without emotion or i try uh-huh. and you know and and i often point to um, the rabbinic tradition of, you know, uh, pill pull, you know, rabbis, a bunch of rabbis get together and they debate one passage of scripture for a week. And, you know, they're just, they're arguing furiously, but this is how they're draw there's how they're pulling the truth out. And I just feel like that's, oh, that's what we need so desperately. I would love to see a debate in Congress instead of politicians ranting at each other. And, cert- and again, we're coming back to the hearing. That's exactly what they did. Very true. Very true. Yeah. 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 I, the, the thing I, I'm, I guess the question that I have in the wake of this uh, uh, trial about uh, the alleged plot to kidnap uh, Governor Whitmer is if those things had been said about a sitting president, those guys would have been dropped in a black site somewhere and never heard from again. Mm. And where do we draw the line that says threatening terrorism is an act of terrorism? Well, you know, what strikes me is that if some kid calls up his local high school and makes a bomb threat, even if he doesn't do it, there are still consequences because you shut down the school and all the rest. And here, I mean, admittedly, they maybe they were blowing off steam, maybe they were exaggerating and all that, but still... Doing what they were doing certainly seems to me at least as bad as some kid calling up his local high school and making a bomb threat. I got to jump in here. At least so far, no consequences. I got to jump in here quick and put a comma before Henry weighs in because I don't want to. Cut, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to cut him off when we go to break. <laughs> okay. Um, we do have a break coming up. If you're listening to us on WFOV, our voices radio. Uh, 92.1 LPFM Flint. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com 
we have some messages as well. So don't touch your dial. Don't, t uh, don't click that mouse. We'll have more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom general stuff listen I have a legal question what is it mom I just got a call from the water company apparently your father has not been paying the bill I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than a thousand dollars now can you believe it actually I can't so listen we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, 
Where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Armchair Politics continues now on the Tom Sumner Program with our uh, roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter. I'm hearing an echo or something. Uh, yeah, same here. Joining our uh, joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, we have uh, author Gerald Everett Jones, and uh, let's let's move on to something. I, I I promised there'd be some weird local stuff, Gerald. So <laughs> bear bear with us. Um, Eric Mays' term as president of the city council has ended after five raucous months. Mays, the, the council's longest-serving member, was removed from the position in a 6-0 to zero vote early Tuesday, with 6th Ward Councilwoman Tanya Burns abstaining from the vote and Mays and 5th Ward Councilwoman Jerry Winfrey Carter absent from the vote. Despite the removal, Mays remains a member of the council representing the city's 1st Ward. Hasn't Eric proven that he can be disruptive whether he has the chair or not i think he has <laughs> that was my reaction at the beginning when i heard that i i was i was watching the meeting at least parts of it i didn't couldn't 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 survive the whole meeting but i watched parts of it that night and it was just a bizarre scenario uh it's uh Although, from what I've read now, even that removal may not be definite, because I guess the Ethics and ethics Committee has raised some doubts about whether or not the uh, resolution was, was, was correct or some way, and I don't know if that's going to undo that removal or there's, not. There's but a they, due there's, process. There's some, there's some doubt. There's a due process in the, uh, in the yeah. city charter. And, and, again, I'll plug if anybody uh, wants... Uh, an audio copy of the Flint City Charter. Just get in touch with me, cause I, cause I have some <laughs> available. Paul and uh, uh, Charles Winfrey and uh, the late Terry Bankert and I read the charter and recorded it, and and it's uh, broken into different sections, and uh, it's it's well, what three? It's a three disc set. And uh, it's the entire uh, recently adopted. What has it been? Five years now, Paul. Uh, yeah, no. I, was, I was just trying to think. It seemed like that no, may be close to that. I, you know. uh, three to four. Okay. How long? I, I was thinking, Tom. You know what you ought to do with those with with those recordings, Tom? Maybe for every time a new council member gets elected, you ought to give them a gift of the uh, <laughs> the uh, the CDs, so they would know what the charter is. Yeah, it's that's true, and I have actually, um, I have actually timed it. You can drive to Metropolitan Airport in Detroit and back, and hear the entire Flint City <laughs> Charter. Um, anyway, uh, it's um, that's just that's just a little plug. If somebody wants to get a hold of me, I can get them a copy of the Charter, um, the audio version. 
Um, but um, if give us a summary of the authority that the board has under the charter to remove. Oh, I'd ha uh, I'd have comfort. to I'd have to dig through it a little bit. But according to um, uh, oh, who was the the council person? Uh, Tanya Burns uh, quoted it in a recent uh, M Live article. Um, and, and talks about there's there's notice given and two weeks in which, you know, the person who's being removed has an opportunity to defend themselves and answer to, you know, whatever infraction is causing the removal and so on. Um, but I guess the question is, um, and, and we've seen this happen on another public body, and we'll probably get to that in, in a couple of minutes. It's, it's been a little lively in some of the boards and committees around town lately. But um, if there is a way to remove Eric from the council, um, would the council become more effective? Is he single-handedly disrupting and log jamming the council? I would say he's a major force, but he's hardly alone. I mean, he, what strikes me is that when he reacts, others seem to react in a similar way. And if he weren't there, I don't know if they would go back to a more uh, civil way of behaving or not, but it just seems like his his reaction seems to generate a similar response from, from at least several other members of the council. And it becomes this all-night circus when they when they go to these ten-hour meetings. Oh, well, I think uh, he could uh, define find a way to uh, create more uh, camaraderie among council members rather than diversion, and uh, that's his true. Uh, that's the, an act of true criticism against Eric Mays. He is disruptive, and he creates diversions. And that is not needed. What they need is to, how to learn how to work together to solve the problems for the people of Flint. And that can be a political strategy. Is you know that gets people's attention and it focuses their anger, but it doesn't. It does not advance the debate. Well, here's here's yeah. what he. I've played this clip once uh, in in recent weeks, um, but here's here's Eric when he was uh, on the show during the last council election, and I asked him uh, about this whole reputation he has for being disruptive. You know, I can take the criticism, I can take the constructive criticism, and people don't like um, my techniques but I'll continue to use them because they work and the people I represent appreciate my fight. That was, that but was he him. doesn't accomplish. Yeah. It, it takes the entire board to accomplish anything meaningful for the city council or for the people of Flint. You know, he's forgetting that one person by himself cannot do this. That's right, and, and, and Eric's right in terms of his own constituents. From from his reputation, he does respond, and he he wins election by usually the largest margin of anybody on the council, sure. at least in recent years. So, I I uh, think they're he, gonna I, I think they're gonna end up if if there's a, a real 
committed um, effort to remove Eric from the council. Not just the the board chair, but you know, from the council at large. I think they're going to have to go to the state. I think they're going to have to do what they did when uh, uh, Jennifer Granholm removed uh, Kwame Kilpatrick. Mm, yeah, well, that's risky, I, I though. That, yeah, that's risky because uh, yeah, I, and, the and local local politics, uh, local. We generated an awful lot of backlash. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Would Whit true. Would Whitmer do it? Hmm. I doubt it. I I yeah, kind of so do, do I. too. I I kind of do too. I, and I, I say particularly during an election year, she probably doesn't need that kind of backlash. So I, I suspect. Oh, there's no way she's going to do it before November. <laughs> yeah. Guys, yeah. She's, <laughs> she's got the black vote. She's probably got the majority of the black votes. She can do anything she wants to, and she'll have that black vote. Well, let's well see. I don't know if she took out after Eric. That that would certainly hurt her. I mean, I, I it would uh, would not yeah. do her any good. <clears throat> yeah, so, there's no, it's, I, it's a no win situation for for her, and and with uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, that there were criminal charges that, yeah. that helped shore up um, what uh, what Graham, Granholm did at the time. It didn't hurt her career either. She was term uh, limited out. She was term limited out. Now yeah, it might be a different. Limited. It might yeah, be a different uh, situation if Gretchen Whitmer is reelected in November in the next term because she won't be able to run again. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet there are people having this conversation. In, in various well, I would think on the council there certainly are. And well, what strikes me is that actually several of the, those who voted to remove him as president were at least his initial supporters and, and, and voted for him to become president. So he's really lost some support already. But um, <clears throat> I think removing him from the council would, would cause real backlash. And, uh, yeah, you and disenfranchise the people from his district. Yeah. Well, let's see what some of our other elected officials are up to. Uh, <laughs> County Clerk Register John Gleason has been charged with bribing or intimidating a witness and willful neglect of duty, according to Genesee District Court records. M. Live, the Flint Journal, could not immediately reach Gleason, who was first elected clerk register in 2012 and has been one of the county's most successful politicians for decades. Um, the witness intimidation charge is a felony punishable by up to four years in prison and a fine of up to $5,000. Willful neglect of duty is a misdemeanor punishable by up to one year in prison and a $1,000 fine. Gleason remains in office, but he can only keep the job if he avoids a felony conviction. What are the chances a plea deal can be struck that keeps Gleason in office? Hmm. Well, you know, uh, no, I, I, I'd, heard, I'd heard a rumor from somebody within the last week or so that, again, this is secondhand stuff, that this may have, Gleason was planning to retire at the end of his term anyhow, if that's true. I, I no, heard not that, Gleason. Too. I know, I mean, he's, he'll, he's in his mid-60s, and I, I'd heard from secondhand sources that, you know, come, it'll be 2024, 
but that was going to be his last. This is going to be his last term anyhow. So you kind of wonder what the point of it is. Yeah, you know, has got to benefit both sides. That's the essence of it. Yeah, you know, I I, I can't. I know John Cleese, and I've known him for quite a while because he's been a clerk, he's been a state representative, he's been a senator, he's had all of those positions, he's been a union representative, and had awesome popularity and success here in Genesee County. But to see him in those orange, I I couldn't believe it. Uh, Yeah, I was wondering, was that really necessary for those kind of charges? Yeah, you know, and I, I think part of uh, his downfall is he began to have these arguments with the city clerk. And, um, yes, oh, yeah. And that, he went after you're, you're, you're talking about a city that's partially black and probably loved both men because they're Democrats and they're that the bill that they want, but one is black. That is going to be a difficult, problematic situation for the city of Flint to deal with. And John, I I don't know why you didn't cool it down and make friends with Inez and solve their differences. He may not have gone through this. Yeah, there's, uh, he, there's he a, seems to have gone out of his way to offend people most recently. I'm thinking yeah. of the UAW in particular, who once supported him, and he yeah. took them on in kind of a, yeah. a nasty way in recent years. Yes. Um, well, I had it, at least uh, a couple of emails and, and a phone call uh, from from old friends who were basically telling me that somehow in private conversations I had predicted something similar to this, <laughs> but but I, I don't I don't remember doing it and certainly not publicly. But um, the thing that's that's interesting about this and the timing is um, the fact that. Uh, another employee in the clerk's office has been charged with election tampering. Yes. Yeah, well, what happened was she was uh, the township clerk, I believe, and and there was a a break-in or something at the office and, you know, some some of the ballot boxes were broken into or something, and she's being charged with tampering with those. And um, But after that event occurred, and she was up for election during the election that she allegedly tampered with. And Yeah, and she won by a relatively narrow margin. <clears throat> and, and then left the position to take the job with the county. Yeah. Yeah, and and they're going back and charging her for this this uh, infraction during a previous uh, held position, uh, but it's caused her to be uh, put on leave, and so <laughs> um, while there are some people saying there are still people in the clerk's office that have been there for a long time that can manage the election, they're they're asking the state to come and oversee this next election. Um, and we'll and we'll see what happens and how that evolves. But I I think it's uh, I think it's very likely that there will be some kind of an announced plea deal that leaves Gleason alone and and maybe it's confirming that he won't run again. 
Well, the, the thing that bothers me, the thing that concerns me most about John Gleason is, will he get his retirement because he has he has uh, disabilities that would cost otherwise hundred thousands of dollars per year because he has that kidney dialysis. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's he's been, he's been a big proponent of the kidney transplant yeah. stuff, the organ donation, <clears throat> and. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the retirement's going to be kind of deliver there, but uh, if yeah. he's really about to retire anyhow. But strange they Maybe they're bargaining that as the bargaining chip. Well, yeah. it, as if uh, if as if that wasn't enough, a Flint school board member has appeared <laughs> before a Genesee <laughs> County <laughs> District Court judge for arraignment on two charges stemming from her alleged assault of another school board member at a March meeting. Danielle Green pleaded not guilty to single misdemeanor counts each of assault and battery and disorderly conduct Friday before Genesee County District Court Judge William Crawford. Green, who was the school board president at the time of the alleged attack, turned herself in Friday morning and was given a $5,000 personal recognizance bond and stipulations including no contact with the victim. A pre-trial date is scheduled for uh, 9 a.m. April 18th uh, before District Court Judge Herman Marable. Any new thoughts on this ongoing story? Mm. Well, I, uh, that's a sad. We story, talked about it last week, and I, and I said, you know, she's been on the show, and she's been around for a while. She's written some children's books. The whole episode seems out of character for her, um, and and it's hard for me to imagine. Yet there were a lot of people in the room, and I'm just curious if there was something that happened before that you know that that caused her to snap that hasn't been reported because so far all the reports say she just completely unprovoked got up walked over to this other board member and just started whopping on her yeah that, that's a story that i've seen and, and, and i had the same thought was was there something else that happened and i've heard at least in the terms of the media coverage i've seen i've seen no mention of, of that so but, far at least but looking at it from the other side I see this as uh, a an attack uh, due to the times that we're badly divided racially, and every <clears throat> and financially, and all of that. The nation is divided. That people must act in a way that they carry out what their constituency wants them to carry out. So it's not all her fault. And and the other lady was, uh, of course, coming at it from the point of the other side. So this was bound to happen. This is when the X and the Y axis cross. <laughs> well, it's yeah. this is going to be a strange one as it plays out because you have um, the attacker, Danielle Green, is black. And yeah. um, is it Laura McIntyre? Is yes. that the treasurer's I think name? it's McIntyre. And, or and and she is openly gay, right? And yeah. uh, you know the the thing we haven't heard yet is is whether or not there are going to be hate crime hate crime charges. 
I've, I've heard that possibility mentioned too. Yeah, I, I uh, haven't. I haven't heard that yet. But I've been. I saw that in one story. I saw that in one story. <laughs> and I. But this has to be kind taken of another side of issue here. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say that another sidebar issue here is that, of course, Ari Woodson is Green's partner at this point, and they, didn't he have a, a restraining order placed on him as well in this whole process? I saw one story that mentioned Woodson in that context. Um, when, whether he said something or made any threats, I don't know. But uh, I thought when they, when they issued the uh, protective orders that when one was applied against Woodson as well as Green. Well, art art is such. I read a, that too. Art is such yeah. an active uh, protester, <laughs> and and uh, can be a bit of a rabble rouser on occasion. <clears throat> I I would expect that there's uh, uh, that down at the courthouse they probably have um, orders printed up in advance for art. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> <laughs> there's, yeah. there's there's a stack yeah. of mail file folder that they go to and just pull one. Right. Um, it's, uh, yeah, and when you store that like black a... and when you store in that black and white stuff right now is not a time to become engaged. Unless you have your well, kind of like like when, when David Davenport was recalling everybody in the county. I said, <laughs> yeah. used to tease him that he had pre-printed petitions for every yeah, exactly. every politician <laughs> in the county to recall. <laughs> yeah, every time somebody was sworn in, they made up a form and set it aside because <laughs> they knew David right. would be along at some point. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I have time. I'm going to try and squeeze this in before the break because we just have a couple of minutes. But a, an attorney for Richard Baird, a former top advisor to ex-governor Rick Snyder, told a Genesee Circuit Court judge Tuesday that the criminal case against him should be dismissed in part because of the role a secret grand jury played in his indictment. Um, an attorney for Baird joined others charged with Flint water crisis crimes in asking Judge Elizabeth Kelly to dismiss the case against his client, saying the term of the grand juror, Genesee Circuit Judge David Newblatt, had expired when the indictments were issued more than a year ago. Will any individuals ever be held responsible for their role in the wake of the Flint water crisis? <laughs> I am starting to wonder. Wings. It just—it's—they <laughs> may all we may all die of old age before any of that happens. Mm -hmm. This is getting just yeah. dragged out forever. It started out in the wrong way. They—they they should have gone directly to the water plant, and uh, that's what all the data was. And well, they need to let those people speak first, not the mayor or anybody else. There's there's <laughs> a uh, three-hour radio documentary playing tomorrow on the show commemorating the uh, anniversary of the switch to the Flint River um, back in 2014 it was uh, done it was produced by me for the uh, for the show and it includes Richard Baird Rick Snyder and a number of other high-profile people that have been named in these various cases and and various aspects of the investigation into the water crisis it was done initially for the fifth anniversary and it's been three or four years since since then but it's uh, playing again tomorrow and there are some very interesting conversations I mentioned Rich Baird uh, Rick Snyder there's also uh, 
Dane Walling and Howard Croft and uh, Mark Edwards and and Mona Hanna Atisha. It's it's pretty good. So if you get a chance, tune in tomorrow for that. It's called Water Water Everywhere: The Flint Water Crisis. Anyway, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more armchair politics. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call The X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 48 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. 
But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney Generaling! We got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash ag. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue armchair politics on the Tom Sumner Program with... uh, Gerald Jones joining our uh, roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and uh, Henry Hatter. And uh, let's see, where do we? Where did I leave off here? Oh, I know. Uh, candidates for mayor have less than two weeks to secure a spot on the August primary ballot. The Flint Clerk's Office said in a news release Thursday. Uh, that the deadline for filing nominating uh, petitions is 4 p.m. April 19th. Petitions must be filed at the clerk's office at City Hall, located at 1101 South Saginaw Street. Nominating petitions for this year's mayoral election became available in January, can be picked up from 9 a.m. until 4 p.m. Monday through Friday. Candidates for mayor are required to have been a registered voter in the city one year prior to April 19th and must continue to live in Flint until the end of their four-year term if elected. The city's revised charter, which went into effect January 1st, here we go, 2018, says uh, nominating petitions for candidates must be signed by at least 600 registered Flint voters for candidates to secure a spot on the ballot. The mayoral primary election will be held August 2nd, and the top two vote-getters in that contest will compete in the general election on November 8th. Incumbent Sheldon Neely and former Mayor Karen Weaver are among potential candidates who have said they are running for the city's top job. More information about nominating petitions is available from City Clerk's Office at 810-766-7413. Are there other candidates that might upset the race that appears to be headed toward a rematch between uh, Weaver and Neely? Well, yeah, there are some candidates. candidates. Um, And uh, I went to the Republican uh, convention last uh, a couple of days ago. And, How did that go, Henry? Oh, boy, that was really interesting. Uh, you know, I was a delegate. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that Matt, Matt uh, Smith uh, did advance was that uh, Republicans will s- storm positions in the city of Flint. They're going to run for those, those positions. This is the first time in years I've heard someone with authority and with a resolve that they would do this because Republicans staying away from city government for years and years and years have done nothing but create uh, anger and ugliness. Not all people in the city of Flint are against Republicans, and, and I'm glad to see that happen. And uh, by the way, the older uh, guard that uh, was thrown out by Matt Smith when he had passed to the position of chairman were there and supportive, and it worked like a, a, a body in great uh, uniform and fitness. Henry, uh, this was the, the county organization. The, yes. The full state 
um, weighs in on uh, the 23rd? The yeah, 23rd, I believe. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. That, that's interesting, Henry, because they had a piece on public radio yesterday about how there was, in a number of counties in Michigan, there was these deep divisions between the pro-Trump Republicans and the anti-Trump Republicans. And it, it's, some counties had some very, very... Uh, uh, bitter battles over that. Others did not. And I was wondering how it had gone in Genesee County here. Well, it was somewhat divisive because some of the new people that were the Trumpian people were extremely, uh, according to comment, disruptive. They wanted to change all of the rules and they wanted to. And of course, uh, the county convention is governed by state rules and you have to follow mm-hmm. the state rules. And uh, Genesee County is now part of three districts. And therefore, it had to resolve itself in terms of a caucus in order to function, uh, to do its business. And so that created some this uh, concern. But we uh, we got through that, and uh, some people were not satisfied with the outcome. But everybody who was there got a chance to go to the state convention as a delegate or as a or as an alternate delegate. Yeah, yeah. Democrats had their endorsement convention this Saturday too, but that was a very pro forma affair. They just the state, the state wide incumbents. Yeah, I'm sorry state. I got you off the track. But, yeah, uh, I'm about yeah, no, Democrats put that little bit in there. No, that leads yeah. right exactly into what Paul said. Was uh, the Democrats had their state version this past weekend? It was mostly incumbents who walked away with endorsements from the Michigan Democratic Party this past weekend. The 2022 state endorsement convention was held at Huntington Place in Detroit Saturday ahead of this year's November election led by Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. The party endorsed a round of candidates for offices of Secretary of State, Attorney General, Supreme Court, uh, State Supreme Court, Michigan Board of Education and University Boards for Michigan State University and University of Michigan as well as Wayne State University. And this is something we talked a little bit about before, but but I want to bring it up again. Do these early party endorsements make the August primary moot? Hmm. This year is unique because President Trump has... has um, come in and endorsed a number of candidates, which is atypical to the routine process of nominations at the state convention. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how his nominees uh, do perform. If they perform well, then the national election may be problematic. We can't predict it. Yeah, it'll it'll be worth watching, particularly for the governor's yeah. race here in Michigan, when you got thir- thirteen Republicans competing, and yeah. uh, uh, several are starting to run ads on television already. A, a couple of them, at least. But I really wonder how that's going to shake out come August. Uh, well, and I'm watching the attorney general race. Yeah, that that too. That's because right. there's there's a favored candidate, and it is not the candidate that ran last time who is running again, Tom Leonard, former uh, State House Speaker. And um, his race, as I recall, when he went against Dana Nessel four years ago, was pretty tight. Yeah, it was was the closest of all the statewide races. Yeah, yeah. 
about 691 votes, wasn't it, or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten the but I know it was very close under any condition. I, in fact, a lot of folks thought Dana Nessel was kind of the most vulnerable Democrat uh, that year, and she won, much as surprised to some people. And when Trump was in the state, he was endorsing Leonard's opponent, and you have to wonder how, what kind of role that's going to play. I don't know. Now, President Trump, former President Trump, is endorsing DePerno and yeah. Tom Leonard. Yeah. Uh, but they, I, they, that's a vicious battle. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the best one of the, the, the anti-Trump forces. Yes. Yeah. Well, this whole, this whole discussion of factionalism within parties, it, it really is a sea change in that, um, you know, that certainly also on the uh, Democratic side and the national level, you've got, you know, you've got a progressive wing and you've got, you know, you've got factions there. And, if if we continue to go uh, down this path of polarizing and now you know within the parties as well even though we often brag we've got a two party system that, that you know is efficient more efficient than the parliamentary governments of the rest of the world if we've got multiple factions i mean certainly you know we've got the greens and we've got you know we've got we, we do have multiple parties they haven't been um that influential um, the the fringe groups haven't been, but the further we go down the road, the more we start looking like parliamentary democracy. Which, okay, uh -huh. n nice and nice and messy, and perhaps there's a lot of dialogue, but when that becomes really inefficient, then I think that 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 has a lot to do with where we are now. Is it's the inefficiency of government and the inability to get things done that benefit people. That causes, uh, especially point. people, that causes especially has caused especially people on the right, especially people who might be called pro-Trumpers, to say, you know, authoritar authoritarianism would be better. We want those trains to run on time. We don't want those people in our backyard. We want the schools run the way that we that that we think the way that we've been brought up, the way that you know that we worship in our church, whatever it happens to be. And I think there's the real danger. Is that it's not that it's not that um, that that the other side, if, if you will, that is being disruptive, is unreasonable. It's that they really don't like the inefficiency of True. the democratic process. And you see that on all levels. I mean, we see it here in, in Genesee County with the city council and the county commission and all that. But you see it in Washington, too, with uh, the deadlock there, where a change of a single vote can block a, a nomination in, in the Senate, among other possibilities. So, yeah, no, it's, it's really a system-wide process where uh, I think you're exactly right. That it's the, the it's frustration that generates Trump support. Yeah. It's going on in other well, countries. I mean, you know, I, I, when I lived in Kenya, there are 43 different tribes there, but only three of them have been in power since independence. And, there, you know, I've, I've often commented on radio interviews that, you know, uh, as, a, as, as a white person living in Kenya, colonialism was so yesterday. The real racial division is, is between blacks, and, and uh, th that's the national conversation there. Uh, you know, uh, uh, white persons are basically either a tourist or an investor. You know, you're <laughs> yeah. uh, welcome, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, well, we have to and it's a, it's a mistake to assume that, um, that I, I mean, I, and, the, you know, then also, 
you could say, you know, Brexit was a response to the perceived inefficiency of the EU. So this stuff is is really global, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've got, you know, we've got a, a worldwide network of gossip. <laughs> we'll we'll have more yeah. on this after uh, we take a short break here for top of the hour ID, but we'll uh, we'll pick this up in the second half of Armchair Politics on today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and we have our roundtable regulars Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by uh, Gerald uh, Everett Jones. We'll Hi, I'm right Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Oh. 